0: Yes. <laughs> so I'll give you uh, just an invitation like we often do, just to say to God from your heart to his, not because we have to, not because it's some kind of rote tradition that we do, because it's good for our souls to stop and acknowledge God when we open his word. Uh, once I once had an incredibly brilliant seminary professor say that every time he opened God's word, the first thing he would do is take a deep breath and pray to God and say, help me to understand it rightly, because I probably don't. And it was humbling to me to see this guy say that. And so we're kind of doing that same thing here in this moment. We're going, God, I don't just want to hear some ideas and some words on the page. I want to hear from your heart. So if that's you, I'll give you that moment just in the stillness of your soul. Pray that to God, and then I'll pray for us that we would hear from him in his word. Father, my doubts and struggles often tell me otherwise, but you are not shy. You're not hiding. That's not your your normal mode of operation. You want us to know you. God, it's not fanatical. It's not weird for us to expect that we would In these moments, as we open your word, hear from you, the almighty yet invisible God, that you would speak to our souls through your word. God, it's honoring of you. So God, I'm humbled by your word. I'm humbled by the opportunity to preach it. And I'm hopeful that you would do much more with it than I could have ever planned or fathomed. God, for every heart that would say to you that they want to hear from you. God, don't let this become, for us, stale routine. God, but for every heart that would genuinely cry out to you and say that they would love to hear from you. God, I pray that you would honor their faith in you and that you would let them know that they've heard from you. Let your word be powerful in us as we do our best to consider it. We ask it for the glory of your name and our joy therein. King Jesus, amen. So. Something that's happening more in my life as I'm getting older, it's been happening for a while now, but it's, it's really picking up pace, is, is that I'm starting to think back to things that my parents said and realize how right they were, how important they were, right? Many of us have had that moment already, or you're starting to have that moment. Sometimes it's as maybe an older teenager, especially you get on a little further in life and you're doing adult life and you start to see things your parents said starting to light up and make sense. My dad had... Several things he would tell us often, several sayings that I could spout out to you, but one of the things that he preached the most often was that you fill up your gas tank when it's half empty. He would over and over and over again tell my mom, my sister, myself, when I started to drive, he told us all the time, treat half like empty. Fill up when it's on half. He was like, I'm paying for the gas. I want you to have the gas, but I want you to stop at the gas station. When you see a gas station, look down at your gas gauge. If it's at half, go ahead and stop. Top it off. Fill it up. He was trying to protect us against coming to a moment when we had an emergency and needed to get somewhere and not have enough gas to get there. He was trying to protect us from having moments where we were stranded on the side of the road. But he so often would say that to us. There were moments where I started to wonder, man, has has this great man really started to think that the line in the middle means that it actually is? I mean, he was just always telling us, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. Well, fast forward a few years from me, from when he started to preach that message to me to when I was in my mid-20s, I was a student pastor And and there were a couple of moments where I wish I had paid attention to what Dad had said to me. One of those moments I went and met a a group of high school guys and talked about Jesus and prayed together early one morning before school. And we were in a small enough town that pretty much everybody went through the same straightaway to get where they were going in the morning in one direction or the other. And, And I pulled across this straightaway up into the gas station across the street. And had it not had an uphill tilt, I would have made it. But it had an uphill tilt, and so I literally got the back two tires of my car just into the parking lot, just out of the main busy intersection there, Highway 160, and my car said, no more. (laughs) It sputtered its last, and I sat there, and everybody passed by that I knew left and right as I waited on somebody to help me get some gas in my vehicle, and it was embarrassing. Not too long after that, thinking that I might have learned my lesson, you would think, I was headed a few miles down the road, and and I didn't plan accordingly, and I knew my gas gauge was low, but I thought, I'll get gas when I get there. I'll go meet this person. I'm a pastor. I need to make sure I get there on time. I'm going to go hang out with them, right, try to speak into their life as best you'll let me, God. Then I'll get gas as soon as it's over, and God went, no, you're not, Yeah, I made it about halfway there, and I wound up on the side of Interstate 65 with cars flying by. I had to call a guy, get him to go to my house, get my gas can from under my house. I had to teach him where uh, my spare key was because it was on a system. You're not just coming to my house and finding one spare key. You find one key. That opens another box. It's like an escape room, right? But I had to walk him through that whole process. took a while. He finally got the gas can, went and filled it up with gas because, of course, my backup gas can for my lawnmower was also empty, right? And he brought it and filled me up on the side of the interstate. At that point, I'm having to apologize to the person that I was hoping to be a blessing to go, hey, I'm not gonna be able to bless you because I'm stupid, right? I ran out of gas here multiple times that I was in my adult life going, man, I wish I would have listened to what the man said. Now, I can't be honest and and tell you, dad, if you're listening, I I don't always necessarily fill up right at half, okay? I just don't. That's true. But I also don't let it get too low because I've experienced the regret of not heeding that direction. Some of us have been there. Unfortunately, a moment when this happens oftentimes in our lives, hopefully not for any of us, but maybe, is when you enter into college, <laughs> and there's those voices behind you saying, listen, you're there to learn. You're there to do school. Don't get sideswept by all the other opportunities and things that are there. And it's so easy, right? And maybe you reached a moment where you got to, to the kind of the end of that phase of school at least, and you went, man, I just really screwed this up. <laughs> Should have listened to those who were telling me to make sure that the most important thing here was the most important thing here conversely maybe you've experienced the power of another person's words in your life in a positive way maybe someone has preached to you to wear your seatbelt, and there was a moment that you were really really glad that you had yours on or someone raised you and taught you about saving first before going out and spending just for fun and there was a moment when that thing broke or that catastrophe took place in your life and you actually had some funds there to be able to deal with it because you had listened and learned what it was and the importance of saving. We all know the importance of those words, right? Those directions sometimes from people who love us dearly. Be it positively or negatively, we've experienced it. As we're in a Bible study Sunday morning series that we're calling Trademarks, we're just looking at what would it look like if we really we're shaped by God's word and by God's spirit in us to be an authentic Christian community. Not just church as church happens, not just church in the same old routine as we do it or culturally it tends to look. But what if we let God shape us and what it looks like for us to be as people together? We're seeing, man, what are those identifiers? What are those unique traits that would be true in us i'll just remind you that we started our very first week just by saying that if you claim to be a follower of jesus the church is you so we're not going to rehash the whole series but do want to put that before your mind because i want us to remember that whatever we're hearing from god's word is an integral part of being the church together if you would raise your hand in your heart and say yeah i'm a follower of jesus then no matter what you're doing with it you are the church So this is a call, and and this is an opportunity and a promise and a benefit for all of us who would claim to be followers of Jesus. The question is, what will we do with it? Today we're going to see that one of the trademarks of being an authentic Christian community, of being a place where we can be the real us and we can really worship the real God, one of of those characteristics is the importance that our words have with each other. We'll see that this week and again in a different way next week. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3 you want to turn there in the New Testament while you do. I'll just remind you, if you've studied Hebrews before, maybe even a few weeks ago, we talked about Hebrews, you may remember. Hebrews is, is written by an author that we don't know for sure. He never identifies himself. Seems to be a guy that probably had Jewish heritage, and so he knew all the old customs from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant way of relating to God. And what Hebrews is ultimately all about is taking each little facet of the Old Covenant way of relating to God, the way that God had prescribed for his people to relate to him in the Old Testament. Is taking each facet of that apart and looking at it and saying, hey, this was good, but, but Jesus is far greater. He's way better. This was good, and it had its purpose and its use, but this is way better to do life with Jesus this way. We just got through singing, your way is better. That's that's the point of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 is doing that. It says in the first six verses, basically in a nutshell, that Jesus is greater, far greater than Moses. And for some of us, it might kind of just skip off of us to go, like, why would you even need to say that? But understand that Moses was a really important, impactful dude for the Jewish people. And so Jesus is greater than Moses in the first six verses. And then in verses 7 through 11, the author, inspired by the Spirit of God, is laying before his original readers and then us, the hearers, this picture of God's people in the Old Testament, If you remember, Moses, the one that Jesus is greater than, was sent by God to go and be a leader to take God's people out of slavery in Egypt, but he wasn't only sent to remove them from slavery, he was also sent to lead them from slavery into this new land of freedom and rest called Canaan. And so in verses 7 through 11, that story is being referenced and being brought up to our attention, and it says in those verses Verse 11, specifically, that that it was because the people failed to trust God, that's why they would not be able to enter into the rest that God had given them. So there was a moment when they could enter into Canaan if they would just trust that God was giving it to them and that God was bigger and stronger than the intimidating people who occupied the land, and instead they didn't believe, and so they wandered in a desert for 40 years. I got hot outside on a, on a cool temperature day yesterday cutting my grass. I can't imagine. I was on a riding lawnmower. How hot could it be? right? But, but they walked around for 40 years. I happen to be 40 years old. So that would mean my whole life would have been just a, a desert walking to this point. And it was 40 years that they didn't have to experience that way. But they did because they didn't trust God. That's what's going on in Hebrews chapter 3. That's kind of the point of verse 11 which leads us up to This thought, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, it's not going to be our main thrust for today, our main focus, but there's a a pretty big-time interpretive issue here that I want to make sure we hear. How could it be that this writer is saying to these people who have trusted in Jesus, he's calling them brothers, but then he's also saying, be careful for what? What's he urging them to be careful about? Don't have unbelief in you like the Israelites did, because if you do, you will fall away from the living God. So That raises the question. What does that mean then that somebody who's genuinely known Jesus that's actually had real sincere faith, does that mean that they can somehow fall away from that sincere faith and they no longer know Jesus in a real way? That's not the message of the Bible. It's not it. And and if you believe differently, I respect you. I want to honor you. We can talk kindly about this over coffee or Cookies or whatever you want to do, right? But the message of Scripture is that our faith and our salvation is secure because it rests in the strong hand of Jesus. That if we truly have faith in Him, our faith will continue on. We're going to see this again in a few verses. If, if that's the message, that God gives His Spirit to us in a way such that He will not take it back, it's very clear in Ephesians He's not taking it back. Once He's given Himself to us, we are His. If that's true, then why is there this reminder for brothers not to let yourself fall away? It's an intriguing question. It's one that maybe we'll see more fully one day when we see God face to face. But I'll just offer you this, that possibly these reminders that we see in Scripture, more than a couple of times, by the way, are there because they provide us the knowledge we need to be obedient in the first place. Have you thought about the fact that you don't know when you're disobeying, you don't know when you are wandering, if you've never had it defined for you what obedience is and what it looks like to abide? If those things have never been said clearly to you, then obviously you're not going to really grasp when you're walking away from it. Maybe you've had that experience, I hope not, where you're in trouble with somebody or you've offended somebody because you haven't done the thing they wanted or you have done the thing that they didn't want, but they never told you about it. Man, that's frustrating, right? Right? When somebody's upset with you about the rule you broke and you never knew it was a rule to begin with. And so I believe that in these urgings, in these promptings, these are part of God's plan for how to keep his people walking faithfully with him. He's saying to them, listen, don't think yourself so lofty in your faith that you can do whatever you want to. Don't think that you can just believe whatever you want to, but take care, pay attention, brothers there wouldn't be an unbelieving heart in you. Because so if that happens, we drift from where our faith is in God. Now listen, some people would say that he's talking here to brothers in, a, in an ethnic sense, in a nationalistic sense. He's calling them Jewish brothers. And so that's how they could fall away. That argument doesn't make much sense to me. I think he's treating them with a whole lot of grace. And he's saying, to every bit of my knowledge, you're brothers. You have sincere, genuine faith. But he also realizes, I believe, that he knows I'm not God, and so I can't ultimately say with certainty the way that God can. Who knows? And so I'm going to urge you, I'm going to encourage you against allowing yourself to let this unbelieving heart exist in you. It's interesting, isn't it, that his focus is not here on what's happening, on, on what the, the sin that's actively taking place in these people's lives. His focus is somewhere deeper than that. He looks beyond the surface down to the source and he says look at your heart and see if there is faith there so often for us, the things that break us down in our faith or the things that we feel shamed or condemned about maybe by super religious folks, it's, it's the outward stuff, it's the action stuff, it's the sin that we see out here. And yes, God calls us away and commands us away from that. So I'm not making an excuse for that. However, what we see here and what I think we see throughout the gospel is that the place that we're to look first The place that we're to ultimately aim our excavation at and dig and scrap the hardest to get to. As we starve this surface of sin, we don't continue on in this stuff out here. We fight it with everything we have, but we're not content with that. We want to see what's in my heart. Because in every place that that our actions are straying away from faithfulness to God, you can be sure that there's some way in which our hearts are straying away from faith in God. So he's saying, be careful Pay attention that there wouldn't be an unbelieving heart in you. Have you ever exploded on a spouse or your kids or a coworker? The day was going well and then they said that thing and you just blew up. And you thought, man, where did that come from? Like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize I was that. I've done that a few times. Just, ugh, it all comes out. And then I'm like, man, I didn't re- that was some ugly junk down inside of me. Where did that come from? What happens out here comes from what? is in here, and so the call is pay attention to your heart, and he says, listen, take care to do this, the call is one, not just, hey, remember this as an extra, hey, write this on the second page of your important faith practices, he says, take care, be diligent, the Proverbs will say, above all else, guard your heart, above all else, everything else is important, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life, it's where your life comes from, And yet so many times we think it's such a small thing. I remember in a community group many years ago, my wife and I were in this group with several couples that we loved, and we got a call that was sad, and we went to sit with this couple, and they were at a point of brokenness, and they were frustrated with each other, and it all revolved around this this couple who both made really great incomes, (laughs) had of funding. That was no issue. Somehow they had amassed tens of thousands of dollars of debt. Actually, the husband had. I probably didn't say that because I'm a husband. I was trying to protect him. Right, the husband had amassed tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt. And I remember the wife saying, I'll never forget. She said, listen, if we had something to show for this, it would at least like I could get on board with that a little bit. But if you look at what we spent this money on, we spent this money on biscuits and coffee. We've got tens of thousands of dollars in debt for what daily and every other day seemed like this small little, not that significant thing. And it has just racked up to be a really big problem. The author of Hebrews, God is saying to you and to I, don't get so busy in your ministry. Don't get so busy in your doing for God that you forget what comes first. And that is to pay attention to your own heart. Healthy faith acknowledges its own inclination to wander in doubt. It's not a sign of of ignorance when you go, yeah, I'm weak in that. It's not a sign of you're not doing well enough or growing up in your faith when you go, oh, you know what, that could be a problem for me. It's actually a mark of healthy faith when you actually acknowledge your own inclination to wander. I think of old hymn that sings prone to wander Lord I feel it I'm prone to leave the God I love those we sing those words with full hearts but listen those are not pretty words about a pretty joyful season with God that is God if I look deep down in the core of me I know I'm prone to leave you I know that's what could happen for me I I think of the evangelist Billy Graham how many lives he must have impacted but Maybe the thing that I've read or heard about him that's marked my life the most is just how humble he was about his own inclination towards sin, so much so that he made every effort he ever possibly could to never travel alone to never put himself in places of isolation where temptation could live that wouldn't live if he had somebody by him. I've heard stories of Billy Graham requesting before he arrived in town for the television set in the room to be removed because he didn't want to waste his time or cast his focus on things that weren't going to help him in his faith. He would arrive, the TV would still be there. Back in the day, sometimes the TV just had a cord running straight into the wall. There was no plug. It just went straight in and plugged. He would just take the scissors out and cut it out and go sit it by the front door. (laughs) Tell him to charge him for it. If you like, you can charge me for the TV. I asked you not to leave it. Why? Because this great guy, this guy who, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard his name, you know of his impact. This guy recognized in himself a propensity to walk away from what it looked like to live in faith with God. And he went, I'm going to do everything I can do to offset that. Follower of Jesus. where in your heart and in your life today. May God be going, hey. Psst, pay attention. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Your inclination to wander. What does the faith in your heart look like? You're called to seek God in watching after the condition of your own heart. You're called to pay attention. But here's great news. You're not called to do that alone. Verse 13 says, instead of doing that, instead of verse 12, allowing unbelief to exist, verse 13, instead of that, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this word exhort here can also be in in some other context translated as encourage, which we're going to look at next week. It's kind of like a lot of our English words where it means one thing. If it's in this context, it means a little bit of a different thing in this other context. This word exhort here means to urge strongly, to plea with somebody. To regularly be calling out to them and saying, please do this. To make a strong appeal to them. It's It's an emotional thing. I'm invested in this. I'm asking you please to do this or to not do this. And the writer of Hebrews, writing to a group of Jesus' followers that he calls brothers, says to them, listen, your faith and the condition of your heart is something you should take seriously. But understand, it's not just yours. Listen, each of you, all of you together, exhort, strongly urge, and appeal to each other, to this gospel, to this faith, and away from faithlessness. Do this. When does it say? Every day. Another translation says day after day. It's supposed to be a regular part of our faith. That we're calling each other to faith in God and away from doubt in Him. Regularly urging another from doubt to faith is a mark of your love for them. When you're present in somebody's life and you're saying, Always fill up when it's empty. Or when it's, when it's halfway there. Sorry, Dad, got it wrong. My bad. That's why I had those problems those two times if you're watching. right? right? I'll always fill up when it's on half. That's a mark of love to be saying that. Hey, think about how you want your future to look and what you want to invest your energy and your time in. Somebody who's saying that into your life over and over again, they're not saying that to beat you down with the weight of thinking through life. They're saying that because they care about your future. We're called as followers of Jesus to be present in each other's lives and regularly urge one another to faith and away from doubt. Just this past week, we started community groups. Our first week for this semester, my family's first week to be part of a a DBC community group ever. Our first time uh, to, to be in a community group in quite a while, to host one in our home and as we sat in our home and people mentioned things in their lives, and I was so like just, man, it was just a God thing to me at least that people were having bravery to step in and share things. And as somebody would share, we'd take a moment and stop and pray for that individual. And man, it was just, man, it was just cool. If you were there and you didn't think it was cool, don't tell me because I thought it was God, okay? But in that moment, we, we, I shared some things that are, that are kind of fears for me, some stuff I'm wrestling with right now that I'm, I'm scared about. And everybody stopped, we paused, prayed for me, awesome moment. And then after that, somebody that I didn't even know that well went, hey, i got to say this to you. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> like, I don't think you missed the rhythm. Like We're supposed to say the thing, pray for the thing, put the bow on it, and move on. Right? But they went, no, 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 i got to say this to you. And I was like, that probably means God's got something to say to me. <laughs> they said, listen, when you're in that fear, I know that kind of fear. And when you're in that fear, you got to stand strong in the word of God. And, man, I wrote down on my little paper that I had in my lap, what truth from you am I supposed to be leaning into when I fear in this way? Because I needed somebody else. I'm so glad that they did. I needed somebody else to speak into my reality and say, hey, listen, there's truth from God for you in this moment. I needed someone to exhort me. Now, quickly, because I don't want to just say, hey, be a people that makes yourself available to each other. Listen, we'll never effectively exhort one another if we don't truly know one another. You ever been exhorted a whole lot by somebody you don't know very well? That feels kind of (laughs) weird. That feels a whole lot like somebody's just bashing you over the head. If we're going to exhort each other well in the way that Christ calls us to, we're going to have to make ourselves available to each other. You can't exhort me about what you don't know is present in my life. We're going to have to make ourselves present in other people's lives to go, hey, I'm going to be part of your life in this way. But I don't want to just say, let's make ourselves available. Let's promise to be present in each other's lives. Let's go exhort each other and not talk at all about what would trip us up from that or, or what would it look like for us to do that so so quickly. One objection is really easy one I think we can all get on board with. What if I go say that to them and it gets weird? What if I go say that to them and they get angry or they get mad? I'll just say this to you, and this has just been my experience. I believe it's probably founded, at least flows from what we see in Scripture, but that when you've truly loved a person well and you go and exhort them with a heart of love, it can go wrong. It can offend. It can turn sour and into all that kind of stuff. But just my experience has been that I've been shocked by how many times when I've really loved the person and I go with a heart of love, how it ends up being a God thing. How they end up trusting that it's love and they actually listen and we get to have meaningful conversation that helps them in their faith what if, what if I talk to them and they get angry and what if it gets weird if your love is regularly clear then your exhortation will be more regularly received but, but, but what what would I say to somebody or, or who am I to go and say something to somebody who am I to go try to sharpen somebody in their faith because I know all the broken down tattered up stuff in me Listen, the word is true that before we're calling out sin in somebody else's life, we should be examining our own life. That's absolutely true, but don't mistake that to mean because there is struggle and strain in my life, I don't speak truth into somebody else's life. <laughs> I read a story recently about, from a guy, and he was talking about how his woodshop teacher in like junior high school emphatically always taught them that when you're pushing a board through an electric saw, you don't push it with your fingers when it gets too far. I, I don't, this is not I'm not a wood shop guy. I don't know anything about uh, wood. I, I, none of that stuff is me, but it's just common sense and the little bit that I do know like blades that are spinning fast don't mix well with digits, okay So he would tell them all the time over and over again they're like, we know you've told us. He would tell them all the time, don't use your hands when it gets that far in, use a push stick. Just get another little stick of wood to use to push the wood through and that way if something goes haywire it's chewing up that push stick, not chewing up your fingers. And this guy's Uh, that was telling this story is is older in life and he's reflecting back on his life and he talks about how many times he had thought about possibly pushing a board through and he went oh, and he got mad himself frustrated was like I guess I'll do it had to walk across the room get the push stick and push it through even though it probably would have been fine to use his hands and he says one of the reasons that I still remember that lesson from that woodshop teacher one of the reasons that I still heed it is because every time he was telling us about that with his hands lifted in the air he was missing half of one of his fingers (laughs) He said he had pushed a board through before, and he knew that it didn't go well if you don't use a push stick. (laughs) Listen, his woundedness, his error, his weakness was not something that delimited or, or made smaller the impact of his message. It was something that magnified his message all the more. And when we as people of God are willing to look at other people and go, listen, I struggle with this too, but maybe that's why I can see it more. Listen, I just want to encourage you in this way. Listen, our own weakness, our own brokenness, our own imperfection can be our platform to point to the beautiful grace of our God. We can't wait to be faithful to exhort people until we get it all figured out or we won't be exhorting anyone ever. God has ordained it to be so that my life matters in the trajectory of your faith and your life matters in the trajectory of my faith. God has planned it to be that way. We will grow up more mature and strong as followers of Jesus. We will have more joy and gladness in him when we speak kind, good words of exhortation to each other and we can't wait until we're perfect to do it. And We can't wait until we're perfect to put ourselves in the place to be able to receive it. We got to be known as who we really are man, grace is not grace and the gospel is not joyful if we have to present ourselves as somebody else. But when we can really be us and come up in here and worship a God who loves who's really us and love each other in the real way, who we really are, that's powerful. That's the love of God. Will you exhort others? Or will we push back because, well, this is just a last practical, I'll just give you this just encouragement for me, always go with a heart to ask questions before making assumptions. go, hey, I think I may be seeing this. I'm not sure. I think I may be seeing this. Or, hey, this might be happening in your life, and even if it is, trust me, I've been there. When you go with a heart to ask, instead of going automatically with a finger pointed, and people believe that you're for them, will we take this kind of action? Will we be present enough in each other's lives? Will we take courage to exhort one another? Not to our best ideas, not to do it just like I do it. We're not exhorting people whether you should drive a Ford or a Chevy or you should cheer for the Tide or that other team, whatever, right? Kent State looked good yesterday. Anyway, right? Right, but we're not, it's not about your preferences. When we're exhorting people, we're exhorting them to the truth of God, His love for them, and how that should lead us in faithfulness. Will we be those kind of people? God uses this kind of interaction produce in us and cultivate in us the priceless kind of faith and to prevent in us the worthless kind of faith. <laughs> you see that. I'm going to read a few verses so see the strong beautiful kind of faith in verse 14 and then remember this example that he's using in the last verses of the other type of faith that falls apart. Verse 14 it says this For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Who was it that God said, you won't enter my rest? But to those who were disobedient, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They had some idea of faith in God. They had some motions they had gone through in the idea of outwardly obeying God, but in the moment when it most called for them to trust God, to step into the promised land that he was giving them, the rest he was giving them, They didn't trust God, and that unbelief led to disobedience, and so they didn't enter that rest. And that physical reality of the journey for the Israelites is supposed to be for us and a a great picture of our spiritual reality. That there's a much better rest for our souls. It'll exist perfectly forever in eternity with God where there'll be no brokenness, no hurt, no shame. But we can experience it even now in great measure the more we lean into and learn to trust in Jesus alone and hope in Jesus alone for our salvation. He says in verse 14, we've come to share in Christ if our original confidence, if the faith we have in Jesus alone as our hope for acceptance from God, if we hold to that firm to the end. Different terminologies are used to talk about this. You may prefer to say, once saved, always saved. That's that's been used before. I personally would prefer to say that that sincere faith perseveres to the end. Or maybe just really simply to say, real faith lasts forever. And the picture that I want to to wrap with today and to kind of land on our hearts today as we finish is just this. What if your real faith propels you and carries you to the end? And there's joy there in the presence of God. But what if you also look around and see that your life has been used to help others make it to the end? I was, at one time, <laughs> I, I was never like an athletic trainer or any, don't, don't get me twisted. But there, there was a day when I was in much better shape. And with some guys that I was trying to invest in spiritually, I invited them into my exercise world. And I'll never forget being outside one day with this guy named Will. We had some good runs together. We had some bad runs together. Um, I was running with Will, and he was kind of just getting started back. And and it wasn't like a thing I had bottled up in my head. It just kind of came out, and I went, man, that's good. I should say that more. I was running, and we had 30 seconds left on our clock to be at a full sprint. I said, 30 seconds. I said, man, you could do anything for 30 seconds. And he's (gasps) he's chugging just like I was when I started, like I'm fixing to be when I start back. Hold me to it. Please pray for me. He's chugging and his face is red. He looks like one of the elves on a Christmas claymation, like he's got the big red puffy cheeks, right? He's hurting, but for 30 more seconds, he kept his limbs going. Now, when those 30 seconds were over, I wasn't sure if he was going to make it, to be quite honest with you. Fast forward a few months, and there's a group of us guys together, and we're in a gym, and we're doing this interval workout where we're pushing our bodies to go for a certain amount of time, certain amount of reps. And I hear Will say out loud to somebody else in the gym who's struggling. I hear him go, Listen, 30 seconds, you can do anything for 30 seconds. I was <laughs> like, Wait a minute. I remember when I said that. <laughs> I may need to trademark that, right? Like, that'd be good. No, but it was such an uplift to my heart to think that here's a guy in the gym with me who's progressed so far in several months, and he's turning around, and he's bringing somebody else with us, and there's a group of guys in here who are becoming more healthy, more able to live their lives, more able to focus their minds. They're able to do these things for the glory of God. God let me be some small part of that by letting it eke out of my mouth to say, you can do anything for 30 seconds. And now I get to look at Will right next to me doing better than I'm doing on some things. And encouraging another brother that he can do anything for 30 seconds. Quickly, and we're done. One of my most poignant memories with my oldest son, Judson. He was about, I guess, four or five. And in just nighttime prayer, talking about God with him. He asked some questions about Jesus and the cross. And so I started talking to him about that again. And when I got, kind of wrapped that up, I said, man, so that means that If we put our hope in Jesus, that we don't ever have to be punished forever. And we don't ever have to die on a cross because Jesus did that for us. And man, his eyes were so big. And he was like, wow. The first thing he said after that, asking about his sister who was in the very next bedroom. He said, Daddy. I said, yes. He said, does Paisley have to die on the cross? I said, buddy, if she hopes in Jesus, she never has to either but what blew me away and still moves me in this moment is that a kid who was just starting to get it and the light bulb was going off and he was going, somebody has sacrificed their life for me so that I can be forgiven and free. He's hearing that message and the light bulb's going off and the first place his mind goes is the person that he loves the most and he goes, what about her? I want her to go with me. Real faith lasts forever. God's intention is to use your life in mine, and my life in yours, your lives in each other's, to propel that real faith along as we exhort each other kindly, sincerely, committedly. What does that need to look like in your life? I want us to pray together today as we conclude this time. I want to ask you, maybe you just pray to God and say, God, is there somebody in my life that I need to exhort? Is there somebody that I need to go and urge and ask them to walk away from something because it's clearly not from you? Maybe that's somebody who's never trusted Jesus. Maybe it's somebody who's, man, a faithful follower, but there's a a blind spot and somebody needs to help them. Only if you're going to do something with it, I want to ask you to ask that of God now. God, is there somebody you want me to go speak to? Maybe some of us need to say, God, how do I need to make myself more available to people? What does that look like for me? Let's ask him. God, it's my fear that I would present wrongly or that we would hear wrongly and we would become a nitpicking militant culture of just picking each other apart I pray that you by your spirit I know that you're big enough and strong enough to prevent that I pray God that we would never take pleasure in the need to approach each other but God that we would take our pleasure only in the faithfulness of following you and only in the fruitful results of those approaches I pray God that we would know that we are also to be encouragers and we'd learn about that and we'd be okay in moments where it's the time to just encourage. But God, I pray also that you would make us strong in your spirit to know how to tenderly yet firmly exhort each other. Help us to care enough about each other's faith that we would speak the words that are hard to speak, that we would ask the questions that are awkward to ask. Let our boldness not be in ourselves. Let our boldness be in you and in your word. Let us go with great humility. But God, show us this morning who we need to exhort. Show us this morning how we need to open ourselves up to the lives of others that they might exhort us. What does that look like for us God would you whisper that to our souls even right now would you give us the courage to step in faith would you let us enjoy flourishing as a sincere community of your followers and see in that community draw others in to find their freedom in you show us God Show us now. Lead us as we walk out to worship just the way we came into worship. Worship with our lives. Lead us in it. ask all these things for the glory of your name. Jesus. Amen.